0: love is in the air uh, this has been a busy month here at Cornerstone with people getting married it's been a busy year the very first Saturday of this year back in January Bo and Minnie got married where are they they're usually uh, back there right and uh and seriously, I feel like every month every other month we 've just had people getting married this month alone we 've had four uh, cornerstone weddings, um, and uh, their people are now returning from their honeymoon so i want to I want to acknowledge them. We have Grace and Adam Miller two weeks old. You guys stand up yeah all right and uh, they 're still on their honeymoon uh, they 're on their way up to Canada and across and then down to ohio and and just uh, so uh, let's encourage them. And then uh, Danny and Unji got married last week right here. Where are they? Unji, where are you? Where are you? Why aren't you sitting together? You're newlyweds. There is something unhealthy happening already. We must pray for them. But Danny's right here and Unji is somewhere in the house. And then last night we had uh, Ernie and Tina tie the knot. And they're here, I think, right there. So, uh, and there are many more weddings to come. Uh, I've already been contracted to do weddings 12 months, six years in advance, actually. Somebody already asked me. Six years from now, can I jot you down? I was like, are you crazy? <laughs> you know, I'm serious. Somebody asked me six years from now. But um, it's, uh, it's, it's been a lot of fun in this season to be a part of this work that God is doing in and through our church and bringing people together. And uh, love is really one of the primary things that John writes about as we've been studying in uh, this letter, 1 John. And so let's look at that now. Let's read it again. And uh, over 40 times, John uses or mentions the word love. And every time he talks about the church, he calls us the beloved of God, the beloved. And uh, he is known, John, the author of this letter, is known as the one Jesus loved. And so if anyone were to write about this divine love, it would be John. And today we're going to begin in chapter 3. Uh, We're going to read the first ten verses together, so let's take a look. John writes, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when He appears, Jesus, we shall be like Him. Or we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, Do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin, because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother or sister. This is the word of God. Can, you, can we pray one more time? Father, as we um, continue reading this, this love-filled letter to the church, Lord, may we receive it with, with all humility, knowing, Lord God, that you love us. And, uh, Lord God, may we understand what it means to love you and to know this love that you have given us through your Son, Jesus Christ. And may we, as a community of faith, be known by our love for you and for one another and for this city and this world. So, Lord God, would you teach us and continue to speak to us as we are gathered here in this time? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. You know, John is writing this letter, uh, probably near the end of his life, and he's writing it kind of like in a very affectionate tone as a beloved pastor uh, to this community of believers that uh, are really scattered throughout the province. And the two themes that really dominate this letter are God is love and God is light. In chapter 1, John says, God is light and there is no darkness in him. He is pure. Uh, God is spotless. Uh, God is um, purity, God is creation, God is worthy of honor and praise because there is no darkness, there is no deceit, there is no lie, there is no sin in Him. God is constant and reliable because He is light. And then John says, God is love. Those who have seen this love have seen God. God is love. And I would even say it the other way around. Those who have not seen God or those who do not know God do not know true love. They might have some version or some facet of love, but true love comes from the author and the giver of true love. And that is God. That is what John is talking about here in this passage. And he talks about God being light and God being love because he wants to affirm the believers. He wants to assure them of God's love in their lives and he wants to assure them of their salvation. Because there's so many voices in the world, that are bombarding their thinking. Voices that are telling them that they're stupid, that they're foolish, that what they believe in will be here today, but it'll be gone tomorrow. What's the point? Give up on it. There's so many other ways of life. Don't just be narrow-minded and follow this one way. And so John is trying to encourage them, and he's trying to assure them of this salvation. And he does it by proclaiming that God is light and God is love. And love is in the air, as I just said. How many of you have ever been or are in love? How many of you? Let's see a, a raise of hands. Oh, man, we need some help. We, we need a we need a Maybe we should just go into a prayer meeting right now. Okay, let me ask you this then, okay? And, and don't be shy. Don't be shy. How many of you have ever had a crush on somebody? Raise your hand. Come on. raise. Yeah, There we go. More hands. Okay. How, keep your hands up. How many of you... Uh, have ever had a crush on somebody that was a one-way crush all right you can put your hand down all right my my hand is up I had a one-way crush before before I met my wife I had a one-way crush how many of you had a one-way crush and the person you had a crush on didn't even know you existed all right am I the okay there's still some of us here there's still some of us I see you I see you yeah I know how that feels I I had a crush on someone in high school Uh, I knew everything about her everything That sounds a little creepy. Uh, I I knew a lot about her, but she knew nothing of me. She did not know that I existed. And I was head over heels for this woman. Um, But I had to give up because I knew that there was no way on earth that we would ever uh, fall in love. Because the problem with this woman, as beautiful as she was, was she was only two dimensional. She was a cartoon. Her name is Belle, and she is the star character in The Beauty and the Beast. And when I was in high school, because this movie came out in 1991, I had a... If you were to ask me, could you ever marry a cartoon, I would say yes. I could marry that cartoon. And I would be happy, because she is all that. She is beautiful. You guys have seen the movie, right? Please, come on. All right? It's one of the best animations of all time, Beauty and the Beast. And Belle is not only beautifully drawn, uh, (laughs) uh, she's not just beautiful on the outside, but she's also beautiful on the inside, right? If you've seen the movie, right? She has this innocence, this purity about her, and she loves her father, You know, in the movie, her father, he's not all there, right? A little bit of a wacko and people have kind of written him off. But she cares for him and she loves him and she does everything that she can within her ability to really care for her aging father who's sort of losing his mental capacity. So not only is she beautiful on the outside, she's got this tenderness. And and if that wasn't enough... Like the the stud in town his name is Gaston right he's he's handsome he's built he's successful he was probably the the captain of the football team the president of the high school the most likely to succeed every woman in the village was uh, was head over heels over Gaston Gaston tried to woo Belle and Belle didn't fall for his tricks all right i mean to 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 add to her character she wasn't attracted to his appearance or what he could give Right. Oh man, I was in love. I was in love with this woman. And uh, this story, The Beauty and the Beast, is powerful. It it, it connected with me as a a 16, 17-year-old, and it still, when I think about it today, connects with me. It connects with so many of us, no matter how old we are, how young we are, what culture we're a part of, because the basic plot of the story is simply this. This beautiful woman falls in love with an animal, right? With a beast. With something so unlovable, something so undesirable. And the beast in the movie, not only was he literally a beast on the outside, he was gruesome, he was scary, but even on the inside, he was bitter, remember? He was mean, he was heartless, he had no compassion for anyone. I mean, he was out to ruin the world. He had been hurt and jaded and let down. And so now, not only on the outside, but on the inside, the beast was disgusting and despicable. But this beautiful woman, throughout the course of the movie, falls in love with this unlovable beast. And at the end of the movie, she kisses him. Right? She kisses him. And his curse is reversed. It's a beautiful story, isn't it? And I think it's beautiful because we all can connect with the animal, the beast. Maybe on the outside, uh, we're better at hiding and pretending our ugliness Maybe we can kind of fake it and and appear to be all together, appear to be respectable, appear to be cordial or nice or outgoing. But you know, every single one of us, we love that story, the beauty and the beast, because we want to be loved like the beast. Even if there is no unlovable character in me, I want to be loved. I want to be loved by somebody who sees the nastiness in my life, not only on the outside, but especially on the inside. Someone who knows all my junk, who knows all my pain, and still loves me the way that I am. I think that's what we all want, isn't it? We want true love. True love. Not the kind of love that comes because you earned it or you deserved it because you produced something. And that's the culture we live in, isn't it? It's the American dream. Study hard so that you can make good grades, so that good grades get you into a good school, so that a good school helps you get a good job, and that good job helps you to make a good salary so that you will be able to marry a good spouse and buy a good house in a good neighborhood and have good kids and have the good life. Isn't that what we're all driven, driving for? We're, isn't that what drives our culture? It's about performing so that we can achieve security and acceptance. If I work hard enough, I'll be secure And I'll be accepted. I'll be loved. He or she will love me because I am lovable. Because I've earned their love. And that is deep within what drives so much of our culture and our world. The world that we live in. It's driven. You can call it greed or ambition. But at the end of the day, why do we want more? Because we want more, that more to validate who we are so that people will accept us. And I think that's something that bleeds over into so many areas of our life, even spiritually speaking, right? If you read the Bible a lot, if you pray long prayers, if you're a small group leader, if you volunteer your time to help out at the soup kitchen or go on a mission trip, not only will people in the church accept you because you're one of them, but who will love you more? God will love you more, won't he? If you read his love letter to you every day, he'll love you more. If you pray every day, he will love you more. Or at least we feel more accepted by God. Because what happens when we don't read the Bible and we don't pray and we stop coming to church? We feel unloved, don't we? So to get that love back, we try harder to be loved. I need to go back to the Word. I need to read the Bible from cover to cover this year. I need to get my prayer life back on track and so we live to be loved. And that's where we connect with the beast. But the Bible doesn't say that you're loved by God because of anything you've done. The Bible doesn't say that you're loved by God because you've prayed enough hours. Or you've read enough verses or chapters. You've done enough Bible studies. You've, you've logged enough hours volunteering for the church or for the, for the community You've you've brought enough friends to faith or you've shared the gospel with enough non-believers. So now you qualify for God's love. Now you earned this job and this career and this lifestyle. The Bible doesn't say that anywhere. What does John say? John says, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called Children of God and that is what we are that is what we are we are what we are children of God why? because he has lavished his love upon us God did not look into the future and say look at Eugene he's going to become a pastor someday so I'm going to adopt him as my child he will be a good return on investment because he's going to plant a church or he's going to be a pastor or he's going to he's going to teach the word so I'm going to love him because I know what he's going to do That's not why I'm adopted. He doesn't look into our lives and say, you know, I'm going to love you because I know everything you're going to give back to me. He lavishes His love on us because we are His creation. We are His children. And that is what we are. Now, the NIV here, uh, the translation is a little weak. Most other translations will add the word, but in the beginning of verse 1, it should say, look, behold, check this out. We are loved by God. It doesn't say it there. It kind of insinuates it, but really in the Greek, the word there is look, stop, don't miss this. We are loved by God. We are his children. That is what we are. You are not a beast, even though you may feel like one. You are not unlovable, even though no one seems to love you when they find out who you are. You are not worthless, even if you feel worthless because you failed in school or you failed in work or you failed in relationships or you've been failing in your spiritual life. John is saying that we are the beloved children of God. That is what we are. That is what we are. Now, the false teachers were speaking into this community and this is what John is trying to combat. The false teachers were separating Uh, the, the, the doctrine of Christ, what we would call Christology. They were saying that he was spirit, he was the Son of God, but he never really took on flesh because flesh is bad, flesh is fallen, flesh is tainted. And so they were denying the incarnation of the Son of God. And by doing so, the application of that heresy was leading people to separate truth and love. Because now the false teachers are teaching that God came and he gave his son to wipe out sin and he loved us. And so now we have this love from God. But he wasn't really flesh. And so therefore, now that we have his love, what our flesh does doesn't really matter. We can do whatever we want because that's really of the physical realm. But we belong to the spiritual. We're loved by God. We're loved by God so we can't go wrong by what we do physically. And this is what people were beginning to do. They were starting to disregard the law, the Ten Commandments, the Old Testament, the teaching, the Sermon on the Mount. The Bible is filled with law. It is filled with a way of life to please God and to follow Jesus. And now the people are believing, well, we don't actually have to do those things. I can do whatever I want with my body. I can commit adultery if I want. I can steal. I can kill. I can covet. I can be dishonest. But it's not what my body does that matters. It's that I'm spiritually saved because Jesus was spirit. And so they're separating grace and truth. And now it's all about grace. And, and unfortunately, the church is doing the same thing today. We, we love to proclaim grace. And we preach the gospel, not the whole gospel. We just preach the part that sounds good to us, that says, hey, we're licensed to do whatever we want because God loves us no matter what. And so every poll so, shows that Christians who go to church are no different from people who don't go to church. You cannot separate them apart now. Now, I think that's partly a good thing, but... The, the bad thing about that is now Christians are just as likely to get a divorce as non Christians. Christians are just as likely to cheat on their spouses as non Christians. Christians are just as likely to cheat on their taxes as non Christians. Christians are just as likely to be obnoxious neighbors as non Christians. There is no differentiation. We are not living apart from the world. Why? Because it's grace, man. We can live any way we want. At the end of the day, we're saved. We're in. We're chosen. We're called. And that's the way of life that is beginning to infiltrate the church because there's a separation between truth and love, the humanity of Christ and the divinity of Christ. And so now you see people, they're living this way. John says, everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that Jesus appears so that he might take away our sins. And in him, there is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Now this doesn't mean that once we become Christians we're flawless and we never are tempted and we're perfectly holy. No, We, we are fallen. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and we continue to. But John is speaking about sins that are habitual that people assume are okay. It's just the way that we are now as Christians. We've just included it in our way of life. And John is saying, if it's inconsistent with God, you don't really know God. And so he's calling the people out. You can't just have grace without truth. You must have truth. But then there's a contingency of people who are hearing this heresy, this false teaching, and the way they apply it is, okay, uh, well, we know you guys are wrong. It's all about truth. I mean, God is light. You know, he's pure, he's reliable, so it's truth, and there's no grace. You've got one group of people that are heavy on the grace and light on the truth, and then you've got a group of people who are heavy on the truth and light on grace. And the people who are heavy on the truth are the legalistic ones. They're the ones that you know. You go to church and they look at the way you dressed, or they, they they saw you this past week at a place where you should have been, and they 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 look down at their nose at you. They judge you. They size you up. What are you doing here? Don't you know this is a church? I saw where you were last week. I know where you were last night. I know your past. I know your track record. I know you have a dirty mouth. What are you doing here? And these are the people who are big on truth and cheap on grace. And they look at people and they size them up and they categorize them. You're not a real Christian. You're not a true follower. You're not a disciple. Look at your life. It's a mess. And that's what happens when we separate truth and love, truth and grace. And John says, you can't separate those things. He said, this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. How do you love somebody? You've got to love them with truth. You've got to love them with truth. You can't let them get away with anything. You have to say, hey man, this is contrary to Jesus. This is contrary to Scripture. I can't turn a blind eye and just say, okay, well, that's okay for you. It's not okay for me, but it must be okay for you. Or, well, because it's okay for you, it must be okay for me too. Whatever it is. We've got to call that out. We've got to live according to the Word of God. But we can't look at people who are falling short of our own standard as if our standard's good. And we can't judge them and condemn them. And this is the application that is beginning to penetrate the church. But John is calling us to see this love that God has lavished upon his children, upon his people. Paul writes about this in 2 Corinthians 5.20. He says, God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. John says that God sent his son Jesus to take away our sin Not once is it alluded to that we earned it or deserved it. John is proclaiming that we are the beloved community because God first loved us. That is why the beauty and the beast is so powerful. Because there was nothing about us, ever, from the moment we were born into this world till the day that we died that is anywhere near the perfection and the holiness and the love of God. We come into this world and innately we're selfish, we're stubborn, and we're prideful. And we live our lives for ourselves. And yet, even though we have the characteristic on the outside and on the inside of being this despicable beast animal, God reverses the curse of sin by loving us and giving us His Son. Jesus came in the flesh, flesh on flesh. It's like God who is Spirit sent His Son in the flesh so that He could touch us, so that He could hold us, so that He could embrace us, so that He could kiss us and reverse the curse of sin in our lives. This is what John is talking about. We cannot separate the two. We have to live in the light of God, the truth of God, and the love of God, the grace of God, together. Not one over the other. That is the complete gospel. God loves us the way we are, but he loves us so much, he doesn't want us to remain the way we are. He wants us to become pure like his son, to live for his glory, to be morally righteous, spiritually righteous, to combine truth and love and to live for his glory. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your divine love that you have lavished upon us. And Lord, like Francis, so many of us have gone through life seeking love and acceptance and identity and security in so many different shapes and forms. And Lord, at the end of the day, we know that it is still not enough. And yet when we look to you, God, you are so perfect and holy and you offer the gift of salvation, we feel unworthy. We can't measure up. We can't attain the status and quality of goodness and holiness that is consistent with your nature. But Lord, we thank you that you have made a way for us to exchange our sin with the righteousness of your Son. That we are no longer condemned, but we are justified. Lord, that through the cross not only were we made clean but we were made righteous through the righteous, obedient life of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord God, now may our lives not be determined by what we do or what we earn but, Lord, may it be defined by your divine love and your divine favor in our lives and may that drive what we do. May that drive our relationships. May that drive our aspirations, our dreams and our pursuits. Lord, knowing that we are secure in your embrace and that we have received sonship through Jesus, your son. And so, Lord God, we thank you, we bless you, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.